Welcome to the Perfectly Flawed podcast. On this podcast, I am your host, Renee Fox, and I chat to various people who are willing to be open and vulnerable about their own experiences with mental health and sport. Please keep in mind that the things discussed on this podcast are people's own experiences and is not medical advice. If anything in these episodes is triggering for you or you feel like you need assistance, please contact a health professional or Lifeline on 13 11 14. Hey everyone and welcome to another episode of the Perfectly Floor podcast. In this episode I am joined by Todd Jarrett. Todd is a mental performance coach where he reconditions the subconscious mind. Todd shared what he does and what led him into this line of work. He talks about his background in sport and exercise science and his passion for helping athletes and everyone in between achieve their goals. Todd sheds light on the impact that our subconscious minds have on our performance that most of us, including myself, don't even realize is happening. There is so much valuable information in this chat that I believe we can all learn from. Todd loves to chat, so if you love this episode and want to know more, let me know so we can do a part two. Hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Perfectly Flawed podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. For those that don't know you, would you like to give a brief overview of yourself? Yeah, for sure. Thank you for having me. Uh, I'm Todd Jarrett and I'm a mental performance coach or a subconscious coach whereby I work with high-level athletes and, and corporates in the business space and enable them to achieve the goals that they've desired for so long but doing it from the mental point of view. The way I got to this place was my background was in motocross, dirt bikes. That was my passion growing up. And I started racing when I was eight or nine and, and raced at a state and national level until I was around 18 and then got involved in um, sports journalism and sports commentary and team management, that side of it, while still riding, but not at the, the same level. And through my years of, of racing, I had a big interest in the training side of it. And obviously I, I did a lot of that as most athletes do, but I really wanted to understand the, the body, the, the science behind the body. So I went to uni to study a, a bachelor of sports science and a master's of exercise physiology. And during that time I was personal training and then training athletes in an academy down in Victoria and then was fortunate to intern under some amazing coaches down at uh, Woodford Sports Science Consulting was the, the first uh, internship program I went into. And from there, once I finished up my, my degree, my course down in, in Vic, I moved up to the Sunshine Coast to train athletes and to teach at the university here, which is University of Sunshine Coast, and was teaching in the sports science and exercise physiology departments, the faculties. And... Also got to start to consult with athletes around the country. Um, so obviously training some more locally and others would travel from our interstate to come and stay with me, kind of doing like a boot camp intensive with the training and the nutrition in, in those areas. And then uh, I was eventually able to head to the US and coach at Stanford University in the Olympic sport program and the NFL program or their college football program, which is an incredible experience, remarkable, and really showed me what a high-level performance program and facility looks like. And was also really fortunate while in the US to travel to Boston, New York, and San Diego, and go to some private facilities and um, work with some 
amazing athletes um, in all different kinds of sports from, you know, NFL to baseball over there to um, I believe ice hockey was up in Boston as well. And, and that was my journey was all around sports science and the, the physical aspect of training, which was my background. That was my, you know, where I had all of my knowledge. And, and while I was in Australia, I'd actually just from the demand of the, the uni students that were going through the, the course and the, the subjects that I was teaching, they wanted to learn from me. And, and what actually ended up happening was I developed a mentorship program, which was taking in exercise science, exercise physiology, physiotherapy students um, from uni, as well as gym owners and gym managers and personal trainers and strength coaches, where they would basically enter into, enter into our program, my program that I developed to learn all, I guess, all of my methods and my strategies and techniques that I'd accumulated over the years. So it, yeah, I guess it became for me, it was training athletes and then also educating other coaches because I had a theory that if I can train 10 athletes and get them to a really high level through our methods, that's awesome. But what happens if I can coach and educate 10 coaches and then they help 10 athletes, then we have, you know, the window in the span of 100. So that's where things move to. And what's really brought me to, I guess you would say, the subconscious space, the mindset space, um, which I dare say will be you know, the, the main part of our chat today, is that I was working with athletes up here in Queensland when I first moved to the coast and um, during 2018. And one of my athletes was a, was a top five guy in the country in his background sport at the time, which was motocross. And he'd almost always been, so he was a, a professional level racer but he'd always been in the top five in the country and, you know, top three in, in his state championships and whatnot, but he'd never actually won a title. He'd never been crowned champion of any of these major series or, or championships classes. And he was the most physiologically dominant athlete in terms of the markers that we're looking for as, as strength coaches that I'd ever worked with in terms of his, you know, his aerobic fitness and his anaerobic fitness, his strength, his mobility, his power, all of these things combined. If we bring them all across the board, he just was remarkable. And he was doing all of the other things in terms of nailing his nutrition, nailing his recovery, his sleep and all of those modalities. So to speak, you would look at him and go, he's got, he's got the whole program sorted. He's ticked all of the boxes and he had the speed as well. So in, in motocross, in, in that sport in particular, it's, it's really your bike skill is a huge part of it. But there were times when he had the speed to go out and win, but when the big events would come, it wouldn't come together, so to speak. And at this point in time, I'd started looking into mindset, but not understanding the subconscious at, at that deeper level of knowing how much it can actually impact athletes. And when this really sort of draw to a, a close for me, and this is when I was convinced and committed that I needed to focus more on the mindset, was that he went into the final round of their state championships in Queensland and he was running, I believe, in, in third and going into the final of, of six races. And what ended up happening was his two closest competitors, one crashed out and was injured. I think he broke his leg in his arm and the other guy's bike blew up, which it, it faulted, it failed. So he finished the motor and by default, he won the championship. He wasn't expecting it. He was in the position on track where he thought he was going to finish, you know, second or third overall. And what ended up happening was he came in from the race in a state of shock disbelief like 
you know, when the, when the family and the supporters and the team are cheering for him, he's kind of like, wait, what do you, what do you mean? Like I'm me, I'm the champion. And then when I spoke with his partner, not long after I said, what was his reaction like? And she said, it was like, he didn't believe it. And it wasn't in the state of, you know, when someone's in euphoria, like they can't put it into words. It was that he genuinely didn't feel like it was supposed to be his. And that's when it started to click to me that every athlete, including in this athlete in particular, has a, a conscious desire to become, you know, their best. And for most, it's to become a champion, whether that be a national champion or a world champion. But how, how many actually get there of the, thousands to millions that are attempting only one in each sport becomes that champion and what i discovered that is largely to do with and and what i've realized now is really the linchpin of it all the most leveraging point is the subconscious mind and what i realized was that for this athlete in particular his subconscious mind from his conditioning through childhood and through his career up to that point was i'm a second to third place guy or i'm a third, third to fifth place guy and he can want uh, as badly as anything to become the number one, to be the champion. But when your subconscious is so much more powerful than your conscious mind, as we know, it's you know, 95% of our, our thoughts are from the subconscious and our subconscious has 40 million times more processing power than our conscious mind. They're not even in comparison. So if his subconscious is saying, hey, I'm a second to fifth place person and his conscious is saying, I want to win, He's never going to win while he's in control of it because he's going to, as some people might use the word self-sabotage, really that's just a subconscious program that opposes our conscious desire. And that's what I saw when I realized he had this disbelief. I got it. And I was like, if he doesn't believe it, it's not that he consciously doesn't want it, but subconsciously he doesn't view himself as that person. And so as I moved through with more and more athletes, we'd start doing more focus on, on the mindset. And then as we were working with the, the professionals, the allied health professionals that I was mentoring. We had uh, around a hundred and just over a hundred um, allied health professionals come through the program over around a two year period. The same thing, we worked more and more on mindset. We explained and went through all the physical principles, but explained the fact that the mind will always beat the skill set. So mindset, mindset beats skill set. And that's, you know, largely you can see that with the athletes that have the discipline and the determination over the years through their career that end up, you know, making it through. We know that, you know, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard sort of thing. And I guess that's, that's my main focus now is working with um, professional and, and high-level level, uh, athletes on the subconscious mind and also those that are not necessarily athletes, but have been athletes before and using the exact same process for them. So yeah, that would, I guess that would be the, the background. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty big background, but it's good. It's all valuable information. And I think over recent times that subconscious mind, although though that terminology isn't necessarily used, I think those factors that influence that, starting to be spoken about a lot more. And I think that conversation needs to be had more. Oh, 100%. And whether it be mindset or mental health or mindfulness, they all very much come in together. And that's been another big realization for me. It was that the way I was conditioned and the way I worked myself in the past was 
being the hardest worker in the room. But what that caused was this work ethic um, where I was so driven, but I wasn't mindful and I wasn't aware of where I was coming from. And so the mindset and mindfulness are two very big differences. And now what I do is I set a foundation of mindfulness and then we go into mindset, which is, which is really important, not only for the athlete's gradual and long-term progression, because we know a lot of athletes swing on the pendulum from a high to a, a low result, um, but also because that enables them to have a more balanced mental health, which is huge and has actually blown me away in terms of working with the athletes over these, you know, this period of time, realizing how much of you know, the challenges that they go through with their sport are actually conditioned aspects from their childhood that are challenges to their mental health rather than their sporting performance. So I completely agree. I feel as though it's, it's a topic that should be had so much more and has so much weight and value to it for everyone within sport. Absolutely. And I mean, I think we're in a time where that's definitely starting to come through now. Hopefully it'll come through even more, but it, the conversation has been started and I'm hoping that we're able to continue it and expand on it even further. Mm, agree. I think it's, it's, there's more and more, as, as I listen, I guess, to the commentary in sport, there's more and more discussion of, you know, the mind. And I'm not sure if it's my own bias because I used to be listening specifically to the training side of the commentary, but I've, I've done my best to objectify and just observe commentary and things of that nature and it seems to be coming up a lot more which to me shows a lot of progress in that space because what I've discovered through my own experience in in working with these guys is that I honestly feel the mindset where they are in their identity and their subconscious is the most important underpinning factor for their performance both now and in the long term in terms of their progression so yeah yeah absolutely what is your role so obviously like you're a mental performance coach what is it that you do on let's say like a day-to-day basis yeah for sure so with the the day-to-day basis for me is when I'm with an athlete it's really about first of all understanding their blind spots because if we use the the analogy of a, a GPS so if I'm at point a let's say for example I'm on the Sunshine Coast in Queensland and I want to get to let's say Darwin, and you said you want to get it to, to Darwin as well, the, we first need to know where we both are because my path and your path, although going to the same destination, are going to be completely different. And what that means for athletes is that for the most part where they are, so in the current point in time, is filled with blind spots. So the number one thing I want to do at the start is obviously once I understand a bit about their vision and where they want to go is getting clear on their blind spots. So the subconscious parts of their mind that are opposing their conscious goals and their conscious desires, because that's what's holding them back. That's kind of the way I use explain it to them is imagine they've got a hot air balloon and you know how hot air balloons have the ropes down and, and then they're released for the balloon to take off their hot air balloon is going as hard as possible. You know, the flames are flicking up and and whatnot, but those ropes are down. Those ropes are the equivalent of the subconscious mind with the opposing beliefs. And we can't ever take off until those are released. So we work on understanding, okay, where, where in the past has, you know, this kind of thing shown up or 
what has gone on through your childhood. Let's say it's a particular belief that they have around where they belong in a class or um, a particular technique they have in their sport. If we speak about like my background in motocross is easier, a starting technique or a belief around that. And, and that comes up and I go, okay, where, where's that come from? When did that first show up? And typically what we'll find is as we dig back, it's like early childhood days when they first started racing and it's just conditioned through and it's been a repeat thing. So the first thing we do is, is understand their blind spots. And this is, let's say, you know, whether it be a two month or a 12 month or how many years process, that is the first thing we do. And then from there, once we're clear on the blind spots and where they're at and, and obviously their, their general vision, we then look at going into, okay, what is it that you really want without these blind spots? And who is it that you need to be in order to achieve those? Because a big thing that I've discovered about the, the identity, which is huge for athletes, is that who I am creates what I do, not in reverse. So when we think of the greatest athletes of all time in their sports, if we're thinking of, say, um, Michael Jordan in basketball, as an example, or Phelps in the swimming pool, um, if we're talking about the, the likes of you know, Tiger Woods in, in golf, or you know Federer in his years through tennis in motocross in my background Ricky Carmichael what you notice is they get to a point in you know winning a championship or winning a title or getting that particular medal where they go from being a contender to being the guy but then they go from being the guy to being I'm the beast no one can beat me that's just who I am and so what shifts is their identity and they, they believe in themselves that they are the person to win. We could also think of, you know, Usain Bolt in, in his um, time that people, if people were lining up next to that person, they're like, oh man, far out. Or they're, they're lining up next to that athlete. They're already in their head about they're competing against the best. So it's almost like they're complete. They're competing for second or better. And this comes from a place of identity and a place of confidence from repetition for most people. So what I mean by that is most people get to that point of I am the greatest or I will become the greatest from winning repeatedly. It has to actually happen from the results first. They're not necessarily in, you would say, conscious control of creating their identity. It's happening by default of them getting the results. And then they may discover afterwards, oh, yeah, that, that really helped me. Whereas what my process is now involving is taking contenders and prodigies and shifting their identity before they get to that point and then watching their trajectory and watching their progress forward. So it's once we're clear on what they desire and their blind spots and who they need to be, it's all focusing on manifesting and creating that identity for them to move in that direction and to be able to do it in a, an accountable process because that's one of the other biggest challenges is that um, with the, the mindset side of things, I'll, you know, with, with performance training, with the physical training, you have checkpoints and you have markers. You need to be at, in terms of strength and conditioning, you want to be at, you know, this percentage of your max at this point in time and everything's tracked and monitored and data. Or you want to be hitting this speed for a lap time for this amount of laps in a row and so on and so forth with your program. It's all peaked and tapered and, and periodized in that way. But with the mental side of it, I felt at least from what I'd seen and what I'd experienced and those that I'd spoken with that it didn't necessarily have the same tracking process. So a big part of what I've been 
creating and working on myself is, is making it so that we can track each step to ensure that we are getting the result that we desire from the mindset side of things. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's a really important thing you touched on there was identity. And I'd love to know more about that because the few people that I have spoken to so far have kind of said, particularly those top athletes able to have an identity and base their worth on outside of their sport. Whilst they are an athlete, they're also a human outside of their sport. And I think it's a really interesting conversation to have because I think some people get caught up, including myself, get caught up in basing my worth on my performance. Yes, yes. That's, that, is, that in itself is huge. And that's where, you know, the mental health side of things comes in, which no doubt we'll, we'll chat about after. But the, the aspect of identity, if I, if I gave the context to the listeners, think of a, an onion and your, your most powerful part of yourself the most natural flowing part of yourself that has the most ease and you would say acceptance and thus the greatest achievement over the long term because it's not coming from a place of overwork and force. Think of that as like the core of the youngin. Okay. And each layer of, we could call it conditioning, which is something that kind of um, dims that light or, or puts a layer on top of, of our core is what we call like that ego conditioning, so to speak. And the more that we go through and the more of these negative beliefs or limiting beliefs or, or excuses, blame and things like that, that we, we add on top is it's all more and more layers of the onion and more and more conditioning. And the more conditioned we are into these negative beliefs, the further we are from this core and the further we are from our natural, so to speak, uh, power, uh, our natural skill set and our natural flow. And so um, in terms of this, this onion as well, it also functions in a way that in terms of the human mind, it's, it's like layers of the onion as well. And if we think about, if we want to get to that core of the onion, what we can either, you know, pull back one layer at a time, repeatedly hundreds to thousands of times, to get down there eventually with all of the number of beliefs and everything we have, or we can take chunks at a time, which is far more efficient. And the, the same thing applies with the, the mind or the subconscious mind specifically is that we have on the outside of the onion. So the most superficial, the easiest to take off and the easiest to change but with the least obvious impact is our actions. So our actions are the things we just do, you know, right now, if I said, I, I want to, um, improve my swimming, which we were discussing pre-podcast. I'm, I would classify myself as a rock in the pool. Uh, I fall to the bottom and don't very much move at all. So let's say I want to, I want to improve swimming. My action is I'm going to go to the pool today. Below action. So, you know, a layer deeper is our behaviors. So they're more habitual actions. So things that we do more week in, week out. And so it's, it's equivalent to if you, change the behavior you also change the action because you know it's the layer below so you're changing both so a behavior might be that no i want to improve my swimming so i'm going to go to the pool three times a week for the next month and i change my behavior and there's an impact there below behavior so the next deepest layer and the deeper we go the more effort so to speak it, it would require to change but the more powerful the change is and that is at the level of belief so I could continue to go to the pool, 
and you know, I've done the, the action. So I've gone once and then I want to make it a behavior. I've gone, you know, three times for three weeks, each three times per week. But if my belief is still, I'm a rock, I'm a crappy swimmer and I don't enjoy swimming or, you know, I don't like pools, whatever it may be, no matter how much work I do, if my intention going to the pool is still that I don't really enjoy this and I'm really not that good. My ceiling's pretty low for improvement. I can be doing the physical side of it, but I haven't unlocked my full capacity. It's kind of like letting a lion roar. And so we have these, these beliefs, but beliefs are also about the external world. So not just being about like my view as a swimmer, but also about what I think of swimming itself or what I believe about, you know, um, going to the swimming pool, all the different strokes or whatever it may be. Below beliefs, we have values. And values are kind of like where we have one bucket, which we might have a hundred beliefs about. So let's say, for example, my value around um, exercise or training modalities. Within that is my beliefs around swimming, but also my beliefs around, you know, cycling and running and, you know, strength training and all of those kinds of things. They sit in our values. And if we can change our value system, which, you know, a few coaches do around the world, but not a whole lot, what it does is enables us to change a whole heap of beliefs in one because it's like kind of us grabbing a whole heap of, of the onion and pulling it away. But what I've discovered is that in terms of the subconscious mind, if we think of the, the, the mind, as I was saying before about the onion layer, the deepest part being the core, our identity is that deepest part. And what that means is that for an athlete that wants to transform their entire career, their performance, their results, and all of that, the, the deepest level they can go to and thus the most profound change that they can create in their mind and their subconscious, which drives almost everything they do day to day, is at the level of the identity, which is the I am. And what, what happens there with the, uh, the I am and the, the identity is that when we shift the narrative about ourselves and who we are, it then shifts the way we perceive and interpret what we're going to do. So with, in terms of the, the performance itself or results itself, what we're setting out to achieve is that the identity is about, I am not, I'm becoming, but I am a champion. And we do this in a specific way in that we use questioning to rewire the subconscious. So I'm going to give some sort of value in here that I don't usually share specifically for the athletes listening. And, and we are typically told that the subconscious is rewired solely by repetition. Continue to do it over and over again, and it will become a habit. And then obviously a habit is subconscious. However, we do know factually that the subconscious is most largely and most immediately affected by heightened states of emotion which is why i can say to you go back to you know the happiest day of your life or go back to the saddest day of your life and you can you can clearly remember it vividly but if i said go back to just now an average day you kind of like it, it seems more gray and that is largely because the the subconscious is the emotional home and so what we do is rather than because i know a lot of people will we think of the identity and we think of the I am, we think of affirmations. Okay. So we think, you know, I am the champion or I am the greatest um, athlete or I am the fittest in my class or I work the hardest. The issue with the affirmations is that if we're saying them consciously and repeating them 
but our subconscious doesn't believe it, what can actually happen is although we consciously repeat it and we consciously believe it, if our subconscious doesn't get rewired, it doesn't actually have an impact when we go into our sporting arena, whatever that may be. And so let's, you know, largely with the, the background in motocross, if we're talking about our athletes in that way, is that if they, again, they have this conscious belief, I am the champion, I am the champion, I am the champion. But the other 95% says, no, you're not. You're, you're not ever going to get there because it's going to overpower. So the, the challenge that arises here is that with affirmations, if our subconscious doesn't believe the conscious statement that we're making, although it can become quickly um, subconsciously expressed. So once you practice affirmations for long enough and someone says, you know, what's an affirmation? You go, I am strong because you've repeated it enough over and over again for it to kind of just fall out. But it doesn't mean you necessarily believe it deep down. And what can actually happen is if we say this affirmation and our subconscious doesn't believe it, it will actually reject it and go to the opposing. So, if, you know, it's kind of like the analogy of if you have someone that's standing that's, that's overweight in the mirror and they've got these limiting beliefs around that, whether it be their in their identity around their weight or their health or, or food, whatever it may be, they're standing there and they're going, I am skinny or I am healthy or I am this or I am that. What can happen if they're not, you know, in a, the greatest state is their subconscious will actually argue them back because it doesn't believe it and go, no, it's kind of like that conversation, you know, the two little voices and goes, no, you're not. You're this and you're this and you're this. And then it's and because there's that bite back from the, that ego part of the mind, there's that, that's emotion and that just ingrains it more. So what I discovered through this process and through this experience is okay it's emotion and it's repetition that rewires the subconscious we want to use those to our advantage and put them together so rather than making affirmative statements we use affirmative questioning which puts the affirmation in a question form but then they need to justify and explain the answer to that question so rather than saying i am you know i am the champion it's why am i the champion and what happens then is it's kind of like, you know, when someone asks you, for example, well, why even are you good at, at your sport? And you kind of get that, that, oof, like it's a bit of a, it takes you back for a moment, it hits you. And you feel like you, you need to, you know, if you believe in it, you feel like you need to defend yourself. Well, because of this and this, and how dare you say that? That's an emotional response. Or if someone says, you're not even that good, you go, poor, and you have that, <clears throat> that bite back. That's emotion that we can use that to rewire the subconscious as a tool. So what we do is we say, why am I X, Y, Z? Let's say, for example, as I said before, with the, one of the guys I'm working with at the moment, why am I the 2021 world champion for, for his sport? And what happens is by saying it, we're getting the affirmative statement that I am becoming you know, the 2021 world champion, but they need to go through and justify and explain why they are that. So when they ask themselves the question and they ask themselves in that state, why am I the 2021 world champion? Because I'm doing this with my training, because I'm doing this with my coach, because I'm doing this with my sleeping and this with my nutrition and this with my recovery and, you know, and this and this. And they're saying it and they're explaining it in a way where they genuinely believe it because they're doing it every single day. It's not a conscious belief. It's like, no, I'm actually doing this. So I deserve to be that champion. And you can, you know, as I'm explaining this now, you can hear it. It's like there's a level of belief and conviction to that where it's not, I'm the champion, I'm the champion, I'm the champion, where it's just like a conscious, 
be a story for a lot of people, it actually goes down and rewires. And the reason it's so powerful is because if the identity is the deepest part, the linchpin to the subconscious, if we shift it, we shift everything above it. And at this point in my career and my experience, I haven't found anything yet that is deeper than the identity. And with that, it means that if we change the identity at the deepest level, it means the other parts can't come up and kind of uppercut it and change it. You know, so for a lot of athletes, they'll have the, you know, they're, they're going through the affirmation of I'm a champion or I'll become the champion. I, I use the I am rather than I will become because I will become can go on forever. So it's kind of like I am is saying it in the now. But what can happen uh, with the affirmations is, is if you're saying it and you're not knowing why you are, you're just saying that you are that. If something comes through and let's say you get your, you know, the number one seeded player in tennis and you get defeated by rank 136 or something that can come in and that can uppercut you sort of thing. It gets in deep into your emotion and makes you really question things. And that's when the athletes get on these pendulum swings from highs to lows. But when we have the identity set, what it does is takes away the ability for the external influences to, to be able to get underneath because it's so deeply rooted. So it's a process to rewire the, the subconscious and the identity because it is the deepest part. But when you do it and you nail it, the revelations you see in performance is incredible. So that's speaking to the performance side of identity. Then in terms of what you were speaking about before, how we base our identity on our results or our outcomes, what I specifically focus on first and foremost, most importantly, is that their identity is based on the feelings they have each day and the things they're doing each day not the outcome that they're experiencing or the result that they're getting. And what that does is really twofold. One is that it creates fulfillment in the process because we're focusing on nailing the process rather than the outcome. And it brings them to a point of, you know, if their question is, why am I such a grateful and fulfilled athlete each day? They're going through and explaining why they are that feeling. So we always put in the, the identity feeling comes first results come second. And that is largely to do with obviously with the mental health, but also because then they're in a higher state of being as they're doing their day-to-day -day activities, as they're doing their training. And what that also does is ensures that their identity is first created around their feeling, their experience that there's not an outcome that's, necessarily you know if we have the the crux of their questions let's say they have 20, 10 questions one might be why am i the 2021 world champion but the other nine are based around a feeling the process the experience not the result because if it's all based on the result and they don't get the result then their whole identity falls apart but if we set the the identity based on nailing you know doing being present in the day nailing the process and what we are feeling and how we're interacting with others then what happens with the the results whether they be you know rough or great it doesn't swing people so much off center and that's a huge part of it because when you can become as i use the word centered so if we think of the pendulum swing we've got the, the high and the, the low or the positive and the negative poles and the pendulum is swinging from one to the other, that's typically when someone doesn't have a strong sense of identity and it's being moved according to their results. Oh, I had a great weekend. I'm the best. Oh, I had a rough weekend. Now I suck. And there's all of this. And that's a lot of energy to go through as an athlete because you're trying to work out which one am I really in and amongst all of this. But if you can center 
the identity on I am becoming the champion. And the reason I am becoming the champion is not because of the results right, right here and now or what's going to be happening in six months, but because I am nailing my process each and every day and I'm on my way forward. And that creates that, that sense and that, that level of belief within that they can have an epic weekend and they're like, awesome, that's, that's brilliant. They get to celebrate, they feel it, but they're still centered. They're still doing their routines. They're still nailing their action items in the day-to-day and that because they know where they're going and they're centered. So when everyone else is swinging, when, they, when my athletes have a high or a low, they remain centered on their path. And as a result, they're able to remain on track. And the way I, the analogy I give is if you've got two kids trying to run the 100 meter sprint and one's running straight down the track and the other kid's running across all eight lanes in zigzags, you know who's going to get to the finish line first because one's got a direct path and they're not getting on, you know, the pendulum of the swing side to side. And it's the same kind of thing where when we can center in the process or center in the high, the awesome feeling of the process then the results don't shift us as much. And who we are is based on what we feel in the day-to-day, not the result that comes. But the beauty of this is that by nailing the process, by default, you get the outcome. Because there's a, an incredible saying, and I'll paraphrase it slightly, but I first heard it from James Clear, who's the author of the book Atomic Habits. And he, what we say is that we do not rise to the level of our goals we fall to the level of our habits and what this means is so many people as i was mentioning earlier have the conscious goal of i want to become world champion but their systems their procedures their process their daily actions and habits uh you know let's say that goals at 10 out of 10 and their habit actions and habits are down at like a six out of 10 they can want that 10 out of 10 all that all they desire But if what they're doing in the day-to-day doesn't align and create the sense of belief, genuine belief within that that's where I'm going and doesn't create that result, they won't ever be able to get there. So what we're doing is shifting it so that our focus is on nailing the, the actions, the habits, the systems, the processes at a 10 out of 10 level. So by nailing those, we get to the outcome. We obviously have, you know, we said in the beginning, this is our our goal our objective for this year let's say 2021 world champion or 2021 australian champion but that kind of is set and then put to so to speak like the back of the mind and then it's about being fully present and um, fulfilling on the process and when we do that the not only the changes in their performance and their results are remarkable but just the way they are in the day-to-day like i don't see a lot of my athletes because i consult in this kind of a way online and what I hear back from the teams and, and, you know, the staff within the teams and and whatnot and and families is, is incredible just how much the athlete shifts from doing the small daily things and how much they don't get rocked. The boat doesn't get rocked as much by where, when things are happening. And it's really interesting. What I've observed is that when they're in a team, let's say they've got eight to 10 people around them and they, let's say they have a result that is a massive high. They all get to celebrate together and be in that euphoric state together and then you know the athlete will go back to their process once they've completed it so they'll get to feel the high but what what has been observed is that when a low happens whether that be by the athlete you know making a mistake a learning experience or by having a you know a technical fault where something with their equipment so to speak breaks then when the team is getting rocked by it or the people around them are getting rocked by it 
they're kind of in the middle going, it's all right. This doesn't define me. This doesn't create who I am. I know where I'm going. I keep with my system. And what that's what we've actually seen is that centers the team around them because they are so strong in their sense of where I'm going, who I am, who I'm becoming, that they're like the grounding marker, like the anchor. And the people around them go, he's the one feeling the result or he or, or she's the one having that experience. But they're, they're sweet. Okay, right. We better pick out there and I pick up the slack. And it actually brings the team together because the, the athlete is so, you could say, certain in there and confident in their process so mm. yeah absolutely and i think emotion is such a powerful thing i can't remember where i saw it maybe it was even in a movie but even in regards to like certain mental illnesses like ptsd that emotion is such a powerful thing that comes back in those things too it's amazing how much power it has over us mm. and that's uh again that's so much linked to the the subconscious because when we, when we go through and look at, in, in a nutshell, a lot of my, you would say a lot of the, the learning of the subconscious for me has come from uh, wise monks, actually. I've done a lot of um, meditation courses, those silent retreats, and, and done a lot of introspection in that way. And so my understanding of the subconscious and the mind hasn't, you know, I was teaching in exercise physiology and sports science and whatnot I wanted to was in line to do my master's. Um, in psych in psychology and then you know the, the the goal and the plan was to go into a phd but when i sort of looked into it i discovered that it didn't really fit my vision of what i wanted to be able to help in it felt very sort of narrowed and i had this discussion with obviously a few people at different universities and and um, a few different professionals and i thought okay i'm going to continue with my experience and and that that way and and I guess what I learned with the, from these wise masters was that in a very simplified form, so I know there's a lot more, you know, there's, there's the, the intricacies of it, but in terms of, you know, um, anxiety, depression, PTSD, the anxiety is an attachment and future-based focused on what could go wrong. So it's, you're out of the present moment, although you are here physically, your mind is somewhere else and it's worried about what could go wrong in the future. That's where anxiety comes from. Depression, on the other hand, is when you're physically here, but your mind is fixated on, you know, the challenges from the past. And that kind of then can link into, you know, a feeling that that will continue into the future. And then the, the, the PTSD side of it, that's, you know, the anxiety and PTSD are things that I've personally dealt with from my own health journey that, you know, went on for a couple of years there in and out of hospitals constantly and nearly losing my life. And that's a massive part of that subconscious, you know, protecting ourselves, doing what it needs to do. Um, you know, for example, the, the, that side of it in, in particular with the, the PTSD, when you if we, we think of the, the example that pops up a lot of the time, it's like post-war veterans. And whenever they hear a, you know, a car door slam or, or a shot go off or fireworks, it, it can trigger them. And that's because there is such a deep emotional link to a loud sound and an experience that they've had that comes back through. And what that is, is, is their nervous system either doing one of two things, preparing for survival, which is what it usually does. That's why it goes into that, you know, that for some people it's a freeze mode. 
for others it's the you know the the flea um but in the other aspect of it it can also be that it brings back that emotion because that memory comes back up so they're back you know the, the mind is in the past they're physically safe you know they're here and now but their mind is saying they're elsewhere and um this is honestly common in even in athletes in, in the sense of um you know when we talk about like performance anxiety um arises with athletes so commonly as well and the number of athletes that i've now worked with that i've discovered have aspects of their performance program that they think are based on performance but are actually based on a, a, a want or a need or a desire from their earlier years in childhood that was some kind of emotional pain is remarkable i'm talking you know world championship athletes that are they're you know obsessing with their level of training not due to physical performance, but, but due to body image and a, and a you know a particular space on their body of body fat, or an athlete being um, orthorexic, having an obsession with food, not actually because of the nutrients they get from the food, but because of their obsession with the fact that they believe that the food they're eating is causing you know acne, and it's 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 blown me away, I guess, um, because I never made it to be the professional level. I was, you know, I was told from a young age that uh, actually by one of my, uh, a coach of mine that I, I looked up to so much as a kid, his name was Greg Moss. He's probably arguably the greatest coach in Australia in motocross. And he told me when I was about, might've been 14, because I was commentating at that point. He said, you're going to be a great commentator, but you won't be a professional motocross racer. You think too much. You're too analytical. And as a 14 year old kid, that crushed me. I was like, oh, that hurts. Like no one tells me that. But, but he was correct. And I'm really grateful that I heard that because it, you know, it kind of sat, you know, as it does in the back of the mind and enabled me to pursue other areas that have, you know, led me to be where I am now. So the, the athletes that have these, these aspects that they're, a lot of them, even if you speak with Olympic level athletes, you know, as you've been chatting with, which is epic, you can speak with so many of them and when you really dig down, because again, the subconscious is at the emotional level, you can typically tell when you're getting to their subconscious in questioning them and, and understanding where their mind is at, because if they haven't, so to speak, quote unquote, done the work before to dig into the subconscious, then they kind of like they put up their walls because you can ask them questions and they're kind of giving you these superficial, quick, easy answers that are just running off. But then if you ask a little bit deeper, they start to kind of like put up their barriers or get a bit closed and you go, okay. There's, there's the key under here. There's, but what happens is the key is linked in with emotion. And what I've now come to, to realize in terms of the, the subconscious, and this has come from, you know, a lot of programs and courses and seminars over the years. And, and obviously for me, I go to seminars to upskill myself to learn different techniques and different strategies, just like reading a book or doing these upskill, you know, programs. And I was at a, a course probably four or five months ago and what I saw really struck me because I'd been on a personal development journey for, for quite a period of time. And I understood that the growth comes in the, you know, the challenge, just like training, your greatest growth comes when you're putting in that hardest work at the end, or you're putting in that heaviest rep or whatever it may be. It's the same thing with the mind, with that analogy, you know, the mind is like the muscle, you've got to train it. 
And what would happen is, let's say these people are up the front and they're getting coached in, in front of a room of say 60 to 100 people. And they're, they're being questioned on an aspect of their life that you know they've come up and they said, I'm, I'm not pumped with this. I'm not happy with this. This is a challenge. And the coach, the leader is up there questioning them. And they, you know, they're kind of on that superficial level. They're on the, the, the top. The answers are just you know, flowing out easily. They're comfortable. And then as they start to get coached, now you can start to feel that bit of resistance where there's that bit, they're coming into emotion and things that they haven't necessarily faced before where their nervous system is gone. We haven't gone here for a while because it was painful last time. So it kind of blocks off. That's just the subconscious trying to protect them from a sense of pain. That's what it does. You know, that's, that's how we function in survival. What I saw was that typically they get one question where they'd get, you know, it, it hit it hit a point and it hit that sort of that tough spot where they didn't want to look at it and they they bite back and they defend. The next 15 seconds was like, to me, it was like black and white, whether their life remained the same and they kept complaining and kept being challenged by the same thing and repeating the pattern, or they created an entirely new future for themselves. And how how I saw this was they would get challenged and they'd have their bite back response. And then the coach would take a moment because obviously the coach observes that, Oh, they're getting some, you know, some challenge here. And they would ask the next question, which would again be pushing into that, you know, that touchy spot for a reason, not because they're just trying to trigger people left, right and center, but because we know that there is a subconscious blind spot in there. We only repeat patterns that we don't want if, you know, if we consciously don't want it and it continues to happen, it tells us there's a subconscious blind spot. We don't know we don't know something. And it's under there wreaking havoc. And they'd ask this second question. And what would happen in that next moment was a determining factor. If I saw as soon as the, the, the leader or the coach finished that question, the respondent or the person being coached and guided and, and taken through this psychological process, if they immediately responded within like, you know, a quarter to a second it was straight away i was like close the book you know they're going to repeat what they've done because they weren't ready to you know take that time to feel into it because they were saying up top in their head and the opposing side which was so amazing to watch it was it was one of the most fulfilling experiences of my life to see these moments for people was when they get asked that second question two things would happen They'd either express a big physical breath. So the question would finish. And rather than them responding, they go. And that in itself was like a release moment. It's like, okay, I'm ready to drop down into this feeling experience and work through this. So they'd either let out a massive breath or the other physical expression would be that they'd either drop their shoulders a little bit, or, you know, they, they might let out you know, some tears or some laughter Basically, what is happening is they're going into a felt experience, not a thought experience. So they're going from their head into, so to speak, their heart, which is where the power in the subconscious comes. Because remember what I was saying before about if you're repeating day in and day out, I am the champion, I am the champion, I am the champion. But emotionally and subconsciously, you don't believe it. You won't actually get there. It's the same thing. For us to rewire the subconscious, we need to go into that felt state, that emotion, because that's what rewires it. And so seeing people drop in to that feeling and be vulnerable which to me is the ultimate strength was amazing 
Because in that moment, I was like, their life is about to change forever because they're about to face something that they've put to the side for so long. And for the most people that were there, it's the reason that they've come to these, you know, seminar or program or course, whatever it may be, series. That's the reason they've come and they're about to get exactly what they desire. And it's the same thing for many athletes in that the, the desire that they have is, is for everyone to win you know, to become an Olympian or to become a world or a national champion. But it's the subconscious that, as we've spoken about, holds them back. And for the most part, to change that subconscious is to go into a feeling state and to a felt state. And when you see people do that, it's literally just like they've given themselves the power to rewrite their whole story and, and take the pages of their book and write them. Because what happens with a lot of people because of their subconscious and how we spoke about, you know, the processing power, Basically what our subconscious does is if we had a book in front of us and we're half, you know, we're, we're through our age, we're a quarter of a way through, through our book. We're 25 and let's say we're living to hundred. I, I personally have set my target as 130. We'll see, but we're, we're a quarter of the way through our book. What our subconscious typically does is go, okay, well, this is, this is what you've gone through. This is, you know, the experiences you've had. These are the people you've been around. This is who you are. This 25 pages of this hundred page book. This is you. Okay. And so when you wake up tomorrow, we're going to pull this page from before and kind of slap it back because that's who you are, you know? And so what we're actually doing is subconsciously, we're living into our future from our past. So we're taking our past through the present and making it our future because, you know, that's the identity. If you've always been this level athlete, you'll always find that. If you've always been this grade student, you'll always find that. If you've always been this income earner, you'll, you know, you'll find that. We, we so to speak, repeat our pages, pull our back pages, our repeated pages and put them in front of us. In this moment where someone goes into their felt experience, they're tapping in. It's like they open up, the, they've grabbed their toolbox They've opened up this thing and now they can actually make a change to the subconscious. And what that does is basically rather than them going to grab that, that page that they've already done and chucking it in front of them and kind of like, you know, photocopying it and sticking it on. It's like, no, there's a blank page here. I'm going to rewrite this and I'm going to create what I desire. And seeing that moment in everyone is incredible, especially in athletes because it's so quantitative it's so easy to see when an athlete has that click moment, like when, you know, there's particular calls that I'll have with athletes and one of my guys in, in America in the world championship at the moment in his sport, we had a call maybe a month ago and we, we dug into something, you know, profound for him. And I said, this is going to change where you are at. I said, just, just mark my words. All I need you to know is that this is a key that you're going to get to use for the rest of your career. I don't know how quickly you're going to be able to pull it out and use it, but when you do, oh, wow, look out. He went into that next weekend in the world championship and he dominated. He won both races, wasn't even touchable. And it was that moment of me going, yeah, I was literally like watching on TV, like, yes, woo, like cheering, going crazy. And it was because I was like that, that discussion that we had, digging into that and enabling him to feel that experience and, and take that page out of the book and go, I'm writing this next page. He went and he wrote that like a blank canvas and it was remarkable. And like, those are the moments that, you know, in this process that are so fulfilling and that you live for because you get to see the impact that you're having on the life of someone else. And it is their life as an athlete in this, in this space. For the most part, it is everything they dedicate themselves to. 
And when you can have, be even just a 1% impact and see what it does for them, it's just like, this is what I was put on earth to do. It's, yeah, it, it, gets, it gets me even right now, just thinking about the other weekend. It's just one of those moments like, wow. Yeah, absolutely. I can imagine it would be. Um, you've shared so much information. I feel like we could talk for hours about all of this. <laughs> I think we could go on for days, really. <laughs> so we will have to do a part two. But um, <laughs> I appreciate you sharing as much as you have. So thank you so much for joining me today. And hopefully we will be able to do a part two in the near future. Yes, 100%. If, uh, if, if you'd appreciate that and that the guys listening in, that uh, they get value from it, just yeah, let them know they can, they can reach out. And, and I'll always help however I can as well. That's one of the biggest things I say is that, you know, if someone hears anything in here that, that clicks, just on, on Instagram or whatever it may be, just send me a message um, and I'll always do my best to get back and help however I can. If it's pointing someone in the right direction or giving them any advice or tips or routine um, implementation things, just those small things. And yeah, I'll always help however I can. So yeah, absolutely. We'll make sure that I'll include all your details in the description in the episode as well. Brilliant. Uh, no worries. Thank you for having me on, Renee. I really do appreciate it. It's been awesome. No worries at all. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Perfectly Flawed podcast. If you would like to stay up to date for when the next episode is being released, you can follow myself on Instagram at Renee Fox, or you can follow the podcast at perfectly underscore flawed underscore podcast. I'll chat to you next time. Bye.